With your Amex card, entertainment benefits like special ticket access and pre-sales to select can't-miss events while supplies last, make every tap music to your ears. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. The Volume. Darwin. The nerves is where it's at. Welcome everybody back into Nerd Sesh. As always, I'm Carson Brever and alongside me is Logan Camden and we just had a fantastic first Sunday of NFL football and I think the biggest story of it all, Logan, is Tua Tungavailoa and the Miami Dolphins picking up a big win on the road against the Chargers. Tua goes into LA Comes out of there with 466 passing yards in a big-time game-winning drive. He is a guy who I have said falls into the average range of starting quarterbacks and is in a really good situation. In fact, my bold prediction for this week was that the Chargers were going to comfortably beat the Dolphins by double digits, that Herbert would soundly outplay Tua. That did not happen here. So, what was your take on this game from Tua in Miami, and have we sold him short as a quarterback? Maybe we've sold Tua a little short, but I think the criticisms that we've had about Tua have been pretty on the nose. I mean, you do still see some limitations, like with his arm in this game, where he underthrows some guys. Like, don't get me wrong, this is a very impressive performance. 466 yards, three TDs, just one pick. Uh, I'm sure you saw the stat. Uh, the fourth most passing yards in a season opener in NFL history behind the great Norm Van Brocklin, Tom Brady, and Dan Marino. But I also think this had to do with a pretty lackluster uh, Chargers defense and, again, coaching staff. Uh, I don't think this Chargers defense is good, and that's a, a big point that I want to hammer home here. I don't think these linebackers are great. I think Eric Kendricks is kind of on his last legs. I, I, they were destined to get beat in coverage, especially when you're going up against guys like Jalen Waddell and Tyreek Hill. It's a nightmare scenario. You're going up against two of the fastest receivers in the NFL with – Linebackers who I think are past their prime, a defense that I don't think is that great. I like the secondary, but I, this isn't a great coverage unit overall. And I do think you hit it on the head too, Carson. This is still a great situation around Tua Tagovailoa. He's got Tyreek Hill. He's got Jalen Waddle, two of the most explosive weapons in the NFL. He also, I think we sold his offensive line short, dude. The offensive line did a phenomenal job, I thought, today of protecting Tua, of giving him time in the pocket to go to work. So I do think this is a really good situation. And I don't want to just, 
you know, I don't want to give, say, like, give Tua no credit at all. I think he threw some dimes in this game. He did a great job, I thought, of throwing mm-hmm. on the run. I think Tua is a deadly accurate quarterback. Uh, you see that one on that final drive that you alluded to. He steps up in the pocket. He delivers a money throw on the run to Tyreek Hill on a go route. Uh, he dropped a beautiful pass in the bucket, again on that final drive, to Tyreek in the corner of the end zone. He has a super clutch final drive where he goes 5 of 7 for 71 yards and a touchdown. And flat out, with what we saw out of the running game from L.A., I mean, he flat out outplayed Justin Herbert today. There's no doubt about it. Do I think that Tua is a better quarterback than Justin Herbert? No, I don't. I think he's in one of the most QB, you know, most beneficial situations for any quarterback in the NFL. I mean, you saw what the Dolphins did. This isn't apples to apples or anything, but you saw how competitive the Dolphins were in the playoffs last year with Skylar Thompson in at QB. Now, I'm not saying that you can just put any QB in this situation that they'd be successful. I'm not saying that Tua's a complete bum. I think Tua's an average, accurate quarterback with a pretty mediocre arm, but he's got two of the best deep threats in the game who can take little, short, intermediate, average throws and turn them into two of the you know, into the biggest plays of the game. Carson, I thought I was watching the wrong video. I thought my TV was messed up. Every time I turned around, I was cooking a little bit during this game, making lunch. Every time I turned around, it was Tyreek on another crosser, and I'm going, oh, man, they must just be showing the highlights again. And it was just Tyreek again streaking up past a bunch of defenders. So maybe we sold Tua a little short. He did look improved. He looked better. I liked his pocket awareness. I liked his ability to throw on the run. I've always liked his accuracy, but... This, personally to me, this doesn't overall, you know, completely change my outlook and my opinion on Tua. I think that we fundamentally land in the same spot here because if pure elite statistical production were the only thing needed to launch Tua into the tier of elite quarterbacks, then that would have already happened last season. Like, maybe some people might just say, okay, we need to see it again. That's fair. He did significantly regress as last year went along, but... He led the league in touchdown percentage last season. He led the league in yards per attempt. He led the league in passer rating. He was statistically brilliant, an incredibly efficient quarterback who led a really good passing attack. But of course, context does matter. He is in an excellent situation. That is undeniable. And I said in my intro that I have viewed him as being in the range of average starting quarterback play. Really, I think... I have felt that he is slightly above that coming into this year. I probably would have had him as the 12th or 13th best quarterback, but not a top 10 guy. And to me, firmly outside of the top eight quarterbacks, which I think is pretty clear in my mind. So I do think he has one of the weakest arms in the NFL, point blank. And that does limit him at times. He has the egregious underthrow to Tyreek on what could have been a massive deep ball early. I thought the pick to JC Jackson in the end zone was Mm -hmm. bad, well off target, but I thought this was a really good game. I thought his timing, his accuracy, and his decision-making was excellent. Now, I agree with you. Tyreek is from another planet, and I think that as good as the receiver talent in the NFL is today, he and Justin Jefferson are a tier above Mm -hmm. everybody else. I have never seen a football player take the top off of a defense like what Tyreek Hill does. And overall, that secondary was shredded, man. You talk about the crossing routes over the middle of the field. It was Tyreek more than anybody else getting open downfield so quickly, but the whole team was eating. I just want to say, I don't... I think there are two other guys in that conversation when healthy. I think Devontae's in that top-tier group for me and Cooper Cup when fully healthy. I understand both, but to me, there are two guys who will 
actively elevate a quarterback and an offense to another level. And that is Jettis with his ability to get open every single down and to be leaned on in terms of production in an almost unparalleled way. I mean, Cooper Cup did, of course, have his ridiculous 1,900-yard season. And then what Tyreek does, even if he's not getting the ball with his ability to get open downfield to do so much in space at all times where you can just get him the ball around the line of scrimmage and he can go to work. The guy is just an absolute physical marvel. And I do think as polished as Devonte is, there's a different level of impact that comes from being that kind of threat because I mean, Tua is statistically an elite deep passer and I do think he has good <laughs> touch and he's accurate. But I think a lot of that is because Tyreek is always open downfield and all you got to do is just place the ball in front of him. And sometimes Tua misses, but he does that enough to where it creates some really dynamic, explosive offense. And I will say this wasn't a good pass defense last year for the Chargers. They were 20th in yards per attempt allowed. I thought that the overall play from the secondary was not good. I didn't think that they were pressuring Tua. So it was definitely a comfortable day offensively, very much elevated by an unbelievable Tyreek performance, but I also thought Tua did his job. He, with a couple of exceptions, was accurate, was on time, made good decisions, and that final touchdown throw was gutsy, and that ball was perfect. So, here's what I will say. If you want to argue him versus Geno, versus Kirk, versus Dak, I think he is absolutely and firmly in that tier. Now, I did give those guys the edge over him coming into this season for various reasons. I was more impressed by Geno as a creator last year. I think that Dak has a more established overall resume. Last year was a down season, but the previous three years, he had really elite quarterback production, over 5,100-yard pace, 35 touchdowns. Kirk, I think, also more established, but really him and Tua would have been neck and neck for me. So if Tua has a good year, if he outplays those guys, I would absolutely be willing to put him above any of them because all of those dudes have their flaws. All of them make mistakes. None of them are dynamic creators. They are just mostly good pocket decision makers who are accurate. And then they have good weapons who are able to elevate them and their production. But I draw the line when people try to put him above that. If you're going to try to put him above a one-man offense like a Lamar Jackson, who we've seen the impact when he is on and off the field for the Ravens, automatically elite when he is out there, automatically very bad production when he isn't. It is like a 10-point swing. They're a 27-plus point-per-game offense in Lamar's career. They win over 70% of his starts, right? He just completely reshapes a defense, and maybe his raw passing production isn't comparable, but you consider the context, his weapons, what he does on the ground, all these things. He's just a superior talent. Trevor Lawrence, to me, his ability to make a wide variety of throws, to extend plays, to make those high value throws into tight windows, but also be accurate and limit mistakes through the air. He's just elevating the guys around him in a different way. Aaron Rodgers, I would understand based on the production last year, I just have a different level of faith in him. So to me, those are the guys in like the six through eight range. I just can't put Tua above any of them because I legitimately do believe they do so much more actively to enhance an offense. And if they were privileged with these sort of weapons he has, they would be able to make these same throws to open guys downfield. But that's not to diminish it. Because there's a lot of dudes who mess those situations up and who aren't as accurate and as composed and who don't see the field as well as Tua. So I think there's a clear middle ground here. The guy is good. 
I understand his production might say he is better than that, but he is legitimately playing with what is arguably the best receiving duo ever. That is all due respect to Randy Moss and Chris Carter, all due respect to Rice and T.O. when they briefly crossed over, all due respect to the greatest show on turf, Isaac Bruce and Torrey Holt. I really think they are in this conversation, Hill and Waddle. They combined for almost 3,100 yards last year, and Tyreek's explosive playability is the best I have ever seen. So... Two is good. Do I believe that he belongs in conversations with Justin Herbert? I still don't. And I think context is fundamentally important. And it's so funny how people will use this game as a launching point to say, oh, well, Tua just has the intangibles. He comes up in the big moments. As if they didn't play head-to-head -head last year, and Tua was god-awful, like beyond belief awful. There's variance in any single game. Tua is good. To me, Herbert is in the tier of the true elevators the guys who can go above and beyond and there's a difference there but Miami can have a really really good offense led by Tua and maybe I have sold that short maybe I've underestimated him slightly and maybe he does belong in that number nine or number 10 spot instead of that number 12 or number 13 spot but I don't think it's that far off I don't think he does belong in that spot. Maybe I'm lower on Tua uh, even than you because I think you hit it right on the head, bro. I was just about to say, I think this is the best receiving duo in the NFL unequivocally. And I think when you do look through the history of the NFL, any receiving tandem, I, it, it just doesn't it just doesn't compare. I mean, the closest thing I can come up with uh, outside of the guys you named, maybe Randy and like Wes Welker, but Randy, you already mentioned Randy mm -hmm. and Chris Carter, like... There's just levels to this, and they are head and shoulders above any other duo uh, in football. You know, I think maybe Justin Jefferson, if, and if Jordan Addison looks awesome this year like he did in week one, maybe. But Waddle and Hill break the game with their speed, and I just think Tua is still a limiting factor in an offense. You know what I mean? Because of mm -hmm. his shortcomings. In a different situation, I don't know if Tua is as successful, right? If we swip, uh, excuse me, if we swap yeah. Mac Jones in Tua, Right, I don't like doing that apples-to-apples -apples comparison, but if we switch both of their situations, you go from the fastest offensive weapons in the league to the slowest offensive weapons in the league, how different is this conversation? You know what I mean? So at this point in time, Carson, yeah. Tua is right about at the median for me. I would definitely, I would take him over Kirk Cousins just because I know what Kirk Cousins is. He's the literal equator for me still. Kirk is right there. <laughs> so I would probably take Tua over him just because I think Kirk is a real limiter, but... I'm more in that 14 range. Don't get me wrong. We're, we're close. I would still have him behind uh, some other guys. And I still do. I think that Tua is still a limiting factor in an offense. Limiting to an extent. But again, he is mostly able to put the ball in the right place. Now, what I will say is we can debate whether or not this is the best receiving duo ever. What we cannot debate is is that it is the fastest and is the most explosive receiving duo ever. And yeah, they're able to create separation downfield that we've never seen before. But to me, Tua is very similar to a Jared Goff kind of guy who you could also put in that same tier. You put the yeah. pieces around them and they do a good job. I think sometimes people overstate how good Tua is at limiting mistakes. Like his interception rate is not particularly good but it's not because he makes bad decisions it's because of his arm talent it's because <laughs> yeah. of the fact that he literally just can't make the tight window throws that other guys do and he will underthrow a guy 
Like, that is something that is bound to happen with his limitations, but he can be a really good quarterback in spite of that. We've seen dudes produce without good arms, right? I'm not going to compare him to old Drew Brees, but old Drew Brees was super efficient. He had clear limitations, but he was still able to churn out good offenses in his role. There are dudes like that. We just don't need to put him into the elite conversation to me because of a great game in this incredible context against a bad defense. I think Drew Brees is an awesome comparison for Tua right at the high level, uh, maybe an older Drew Brees. I think the best comparison in NFL history you could give to Tua is Chad Pennington, though. Chad Pennington was a guy that never really could attack on the outsides of the field or go really deep because he had a really, really... Uh, just he didn't have a strong arm, but he was deadly accurate. He limited mm-hmm. mistakes, and he won a lot of games uh, with Miami, with New York. He took those teams to the playoffs a couple of times. Uh, I think that is probably the. I think honestly, I think that's probably my best comp I could probably give to a guys who are really limited by their arm strength, but just excel at being you know super accurate. And I don't want to disrespect to uh, uh, by mm-hmm. saying I do think he's a limiter, but I think you're right when you emphasize that. If Tua can be really great at managing the game, and I don't mean this in an improvisational way, but the way Aaron Rodgers would make decisions and manage the game and throw balls away, and the way Aaron Rodgers limited mistakes, I think if Tua can do that to a really high level, that's how he can elevate himself into top 10 status. Because I don't think he'll ever have the talent of these top 10 QBs, but I think Tua can be efficient enough and be a good enough decision maker, you know, sub 10 turnovers a year. I think that's how someone uh, with limited attributes like Tua can crack that upper echelon of QB tier. There's no question that he is maximizing his physical ability right now. And I think he's going to be productive again. I was lower on the Dolphins than most. Part of that is because I'm lower on Tua than most. I think the other part of that though, is that I really didn't see much reason for the defense to improve with Jalen Ramsey out for at least a vast majority of the season. And I think that the defense did struggle today. However, they came up with a couple of really big plays. And I saw this Emmanuel Acho tweet, which I hate to even really give the time of day, but talk about a dude who is attached to his view and is going to do whatever he can to justify to a superiority. Talks about Herbert coming up short on the last drive i mean two of the last three plays he's basically facing a free rusher right sealer wins in a half second on second down and so there's really nothing that herbert can do there and then fourth down he is literally facing a free rusher who wasn't picked up on a blitz so herbert is not what i'm concerned about with the chargers yes two outplayed him here yes Tua came up with a big drive but i don't think this loss falls on herbert He didn't let up 36 points. The Chargers did. And that's why I had them missing the playoffs, even with 10 wins, because just because I think the AFC is that good. But this is his best offensive situation. I think it's a more aggressive downfield approach with Kellen Moore. I think that these are the best weapons that he's had with a healthier receiving core, bringing in Quentin Johnson, who didn't really factor in much today, but healthy Keenan Allen, healthy Mike Williams. I think this is the best offensive line that he has played with. All those factors are coming together, but this defense was 30th in yards per play allowed last year. And I don't really think that they're going to improve. And being that weak on one side of the ball in an AFC that is this good is going to come back to bite you. So that was a really fun game. Shout out to Tua. Maybe I've sold him a bit short. I do think that I have focused on his weaknesses more than his strengths. 
but I feel like that's mostly a response to people putting him into conversations that I don't think he belongs. And I do think that the guy is a slightly above average quarterback. And if he has a really good year, maybe I could put him into the nine or 10 spot. But again, not going to be higher than that because of the lack of creation. Okay, let's move on from that game and hit on some of the other key points of the day, Logan. Out of everybody who played, who disappointed you most? Well, you know my affiliation, Carson. You know the team that I ride and die for. That is the Pittsburgh Mm -hmm. Steelers. And by far, I mean, when you were talking about uh, letting out a wet fart of a game, man, I think the Steelers showed us. uh, We suck today, to sum it up. I think everybody saw the stat. Everybody saw the picture if you weren't watching the game. I'm sure you saw the the stat somewhere. Going into the final drive of the first half, we were outgained 199 yards to one. And, you know, we previewed uh, this on our slate last week, Carson. It kind of felt like Murphy's Law to me. Uh, Anything that can go wrong will go wrong. And everything that could have gone wrong in this game went wrong for Pittsburgh. All of the concerns I laid out in our preview reared their ugly head. And first and foremost, we can start with Kenny Pickett. I'm really, really disappointed in KP, especially after a full offseason to prepare. This wasn't just a couple of throws where Kenny's missing guys. This is almost every damn snap. Uh, I will cut him a little slack. We were a little out of our element early because of the deficit. You know, we go down 20-0, you're not going to be able to run the ball a whole lot. Uh, We also just had no rushing attack up front, so I'll cut him a little bit of slack there. But there were so many errors in this game. We can start with Kenny's poor decision-making. He threw into triple coverage on a seam route to Connor Hayward. That ball gets batted away by Fred Warner and picked off just a horrible decision. He threw another ball in this game directly to Fred Warner's chest that I cannot believe did not get picked off. When it came out of Kenny's hand, I took my jersey off, I threw it down the hallway, and then I turned around and realized it didn't actually get picked off. I was already convinced Warner was taking that to the house. Another poor decision in the red zone, uh, a five-yard slant route. He throws to Muth and gets Muth absolutely smacked by the safety sitting in the end zone. You cannot do that to your receivers, man. You have to have an awareness of where guys are and when you are setting your receivers up. Uh, Muth luckily was okay, ends up catching a TD on that uh, drive, but gets clapped in the end zone. So bad decision-making from Kenny. He was also horribly inaccurate in this game. He horribly underthrows a ball on an interception uh, on an attempt to Calvin Austin the third. He overthrows a wide open Allen Robinson in the end zone. Uh, that play, and he ends up getting bailed out by a penalty that leads to our only TD of the game to Pat Fryermuth. But he was routinely low on balls. He was routinely off. A lot of guys had to adjust to catch passes. And the biggest thing that I was disappointed with Carson is that he just struggled with general pocket and game awareness. He was just a step slow in his progressions, it seemed like, all day long. The first drive of the third quarter. We get points at the end of the first half. We get a stop. We come out. No, we didn't get a stop. Excuse me. Now, McCaffrey house called us for 50 yards. Nice one, Steelers defense. We come out. We need points desperately, right? We're trailing by 20. He misses a wide open Calvin Austin the third, uh, literally on a seam route. He's going, it's a cover three, uh, excuse me, no, it's man up, a cover two. The high safety is in the middle of the field. 
the safety that is on Calvin Austin III falls down. It is a touchdown. Kenny just misses him. There's a slant progression on a crucial third down with Deontay Johnson. Kenny just misses. And one of the biggest knocks on Kenny Carson, he was a great improvisational guy last year. He was great on late drives. He struggled to make plays in structure. That was our biggest criticism, right? In the NFL, it's a different game than college. You don't have time to run around behind the pocket and make plays. Three seconds, the ball needs to be out of your hands and to a guy. So many times, Kenny's holding on to the ball. He just didn't look composed. He looked jittery. I don't know if it's because it's the first game of the season. I don't know if it's because you're going up against a 49ers defense that is absolutely loaded. Uh, but he was jittery. He seemed scared. He didn't seem confident. And uh, for me, Carson, this is the worst game I've ever seen out of Kenny Pickett. Last season, we had the kid gloves, right? Uh, a heavy rushing attack. We lean really heavy on Najee and Jalen Warren. Kenny ends up uh, having to throw the ball a lot in this game and completely disappointed in every facet of the game. So I have a lot of other areas that I want to get into where the Steelers disappointed me today. But what did you think about Kenny Pickett's performance and... Uh, is this what you expected? You know, did you expect Kenny to struggle? Did you expect more? What were your expectations, and what did you think of how he performed? I was definitely disappointed by Kenny. I have not been as high on him as you, and I said that if he played like an average starting quarterback this year, that would be a really successful season of progress <laughs> for him. But this was brutal. I certainly didn't think he was going to struggle like this, and I really didn't think that any of his best attributes popped. Like, I do think that generally he's proven to be a solid decision maker, solidly accurate, but I've liked his pocket presence, his ability to extend plays a little bit as a solidly mobile guy, and I thought that he struggled in terms of decision making in basically every facet. You mentioned holding on to the ball too long. I thought he was putting the ball in really dangerous situations. But the biggest concern to me, it's not just Kenny. It was how anemic the entire Pittsburgh <laughs> offense yeah. was. And that's been my big concern, man. That's why I couldn't see the 11-win path like you could. And I had them at eight wins and was closer to putting them at seven. It's just a real limiting factor. And I know that the identity has been that ground and pound lean on the run game thing. But the last couple years with the line not being great, the running game hasn't been efficient, and they didn't really get a good chance to establish it in this game, but yet again, they didn't. And I also don't know if I'm quite as high on the weapons in the receiving game as some. So, I don't know. I just don't really see the above-average unit on the offense. I think below-average line play and very likely below average quarterback play with solid weapons, it's tough to make a playoff push with that formula, even if your defense is really good. I don't think the Steelers' defense is going to be best in the league sort of level. TJ Watt is a god. I mean, he's obviously <laughs> unbelievable. He was both of our pick for Depoy, but I'm not sure it's a great overall pass rush. And I know that you were high on the additions that were made in the secondary. I did think those guys got torched by the Niners weapons. And hey, that's tough competition. Brandon Ayuk is something else. But those guys were having a field day. So I thought it was definitely a discouraging debut from the Steelers. Kenny played really poorly. If he's able to reach a higher level, that does change the dynamic a bit here. But no matter what, it's going to be a limited offense. And also, the Niners are just elite, dude. I mean, they are very clearly one of the 
a few most talented football teams. I think in terms of position group to position group, both sides of the ball, them and the Eagles are top two. So that's a tough opener, but it was definitely a bad, bad one for the Steelers. Can you believe we've had seven months without an NFL game? Crazy, right? Well, good thing that's over. NFL is here and DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL, is giving you a can't-miss offer for week one. This week, new customers can get $200 in bonus bets instantly when you bet just 5 bucks on any game. DraftKings is hooking everyone up with game day greatness. All customers can take advantage of two new offers every single game day this September. Check the app to see what you get. Download now and use code NERDS to sign up. New customers can take home $200 in bonus bets instantly just for betting 5 bucks. That's code NERDS. Only on DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 8778-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY to 467-369. In Connecticut, help is also available for problems with gambling. Call 888-789-777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly. On behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort, 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario, see dkng.co slash football for eligibility terms and responsible gaming resources bonus bets expire seven days after issuance and eligibility and deposit restrictions apply for sure and i'm glad you bring up some of the other concerns that you do carson uh again in our preview i mentioned another one of my biggest red flags about this season was the interior offensive line we get absolutely no push up front and if Kenny is going to look this poor or this scared without a run game all year long we are in for it we have nine total carries for 37 yards in this game we have not had a good interior since DeCastro, Pouncey, and Foster left. Mason Cole sucks. James Daniel is good in pass protection, and Isaac Samalo is so-so. The one question I have for Matt Canada in the running game is, if we're getting stuffed every time, can we put a fullback in there or something, like a guy to just lead the way? I don't get why we don't ever turn to that in I form, a uh, just a heavy set formation with an extra tight end or something, man. Uh... Canada was disappointing too, and you bring up the defense, Carson. That's probably my biggest concern. I didn't have high expectations for this offense because of Matt Canada, because I didn't have faith in our offensive line, because of our lack of a dynamic running game. I'm really worried about this defense, and it's the key that I pointed out last week again. The biggest hole on this Steelers team is the linebackers. Last season, we lose Miles Jack, Robert Spillane, and Devin Bush. We replace them with Cole Holcomb from Washington and Alandon Roberts from Miami. And oh my God, they were horrible. Both of these guys are pretty slow. One of the most important things in being a linebacker is just getting to the spots, right? Excelling right off the snap, getting to where you need to go. Both of these guys aren't that fast. McCaffrey was dusting them. They didn't plug holes. Now, I know this is a tough matchup. The Niners are a great team, right? It sucks going up against this O-line because I think they are phenomenal even with the guys that they lost in the offseason. Linebackers couldn't plug holes. Even worse, they got absolutely picked apart in the passing game. And the play that broke my spirit with these linebackers, third and 12 late, absolutely meaningless down. We're, we're losing 30 to 7. The deficit of, is massive. This play means nothing. But it's third and 12. Maybe we can get another possession. Brock Purdy rushes out, fakes out Cole Holcomb with a little like jab step, and ends up rushing for the first down. And we have two linebackers staring Purdy in the face. 
it's really discouraging. And like you mentioned, the only bright spot of this game and competent defender, it seems, we have on the roster is Watt. Three sacks, five QB hits, two forced fumbles. The secondary also did not inspire me. Pat Pete looked okay, had his moments. Levi Wallace got cooked. The secondary got cooked in general. And again, last season, this is a Steelers defense that when fully healthy was predicated on big plays, sacks and takeaways. There's always variance in that year to year. And if this is going to be a defense that can't get stops, we need to get takeaways because that's the only way we're going to win games. So Look, I'm not going to ring the panic alarm just yet because of my faith in Mike Tomlin. I know the Niners are one of the best teams in the NFL, and weird stuff happens week one, but this certainly was disappointing. On the other side, though, man, I think this is really encouraging for the Niners, dude. The skill position guys, what Ayuk showed us, what McCaffrey showed us in the run game, the offensive line, uh, Brock Purdy's uh, just how composed he is, how quick he processes the game. I don't know. It's hard because we need to figure out where these teams are, right? Are the Niners true contenders? Are the Steelers just really shitty this year? We'll find out as the as the season goes along, but uh, definitely a, a less than stellar debut, I'll say, for my Steelers, man. this uh, There's very few positives to take away from this game. So... I wanted to make a bet with you before the season started on our last <laughs> show, and I forgot to do it. And I wonder if perhaps your outlook on this has changed, but it was a Steelers playoff bet. You had them making it. I had them missing it. And I was going to say, if they miss it, that you would wear a toupee for a week's shows. Oh my God. I don't know oh if you God. would like to place a counter oh wager for me, but can I still entice you to take such a bet? A toupe? Carson, you want me to rock? Well, a toupee is how it's pronounced, but yes. You want me to go full George Costanza and rock a toupe? Well, again, a toupee, but yes, that is what I would like you to do if the Steelers miss the playoffs, which you don't think is going to happen. What's the counter? What are you going to do? You can come up with that, man. Can you wear a toupe? Not really, because I have hair. I guess I'll just have to get you, like, a really nice wig or something. You know what, Carson? I think that's pretty funny. <laughs> I'll do All it. Right. I'm I'm with it because All I right. think we're, worst case scenario, I get to have hair for a week. Best case scenario, the Steelers True. make the playoffs. I'm kind of all in on this one. It's a win no matter what. Now, I will be picking the toupee, and I haven't decided oh exactly gosh. what the creative vision is there, but all right. I love it. <laughs> so I'm going to throw out another AFC North team as the most disappointing one of the day, which I don't think will surprise anybody. It was a brutal one for the Bengals, man. And clearly this is a division that most people felt was loaded, maybe the strongest in the NFL for potentially playoff caliber teams. And the Bengals were probably viewed as the safest pick of all of them. I didn't have them winning the division. I had the Ravens, but back-to-back -back AFC championship appearances. We know this floor that they have established with this offense led by Joe Burrow and the best overall receiving core in football. But this was just brutal. I thought that they really struggled to run the football in this one. And to me, Joe Mixon has just regressed. I think he is a below average starting running back for sure. I don't think that he has really high-end agility or explosiveness. I think he's just sort of out there getting volume carries. He was really inefficient as a runner last year, and I expect that to continue into this year. So they were able to produce a really good offense in spite of that. 
But you can't do that when Joe Burrow is brutal and looks out of sync with his receivers and is off target more than usual and really struggled dealing with the pressure, which the Browns were able to generate a lot of. And I thought they definitely won the battle at the line of scrimmage definitively. But 14 of 31 for 82 yards is a rare sort of disaster from Burrow. Nothing explosive going in this offense. And yeah, it was rough conditions in terms of weather, but... Here's all I'm going to say. It felt like there was a collective movement towards Joe Burrow as the, the clear second best quarterback in football this offseason. Mostly because he won a head-to-head game against Josh Allen, which I think had much more to do with the overall play of those rosters than it did the play of the two quarterbacks. But I'm a believer in Josh being better. And I think that this sort of game is important in making that case, not to overstate any one regular season game, but when you're talking about overcoming circumstances, the lack of a run game, getting dominated at the line of scrimmage, suboptimal weather, Josh, because of his ability to create outside the pocket, because of his ability to extend plays and to do damage with his legs and to make even more of those above and beyond crazy raw arm talent throws than Joe Burrow, I think he has a higher floor in situations like this, much higher, because he certainly hasn't had a game this bad since he took the leap. This was a this was a real, real bad game from Joe Burrow. So I'm not going to overreact, just like I wouldn't overreact to the Chiefs losing to the Lions, although I do think we saw real concerns there. That receiving core is bad, especially without Travis Kelsey out there, obviously. But my level of faith in Patrick Mahomes is different than my level of faith in anybody else on the planet. But... I didn't have the Bengals winning this division because I don't think that they are a top, top tier teams in in terms of talent. And their point differential the last two regular seasons hasn't been that of an elite team. I'm worried about this defense quite being able to reach last year's level because the pass rush wasn't elite. And that is generally the best cornerstone for any great defense. And of course, they lose both Bates and Bell in the secondary, which I think could matter. So If one of the AFC powerhouses, that being Kansas City, Buffalo, and Cincinnati, I would say they've been definitely the most consistent over the last couple years, is most likely to regress and miss the playoffs, I do think it would probably be them because I think they are the one that hasn't consistently proven, hey, no matter what, we're going to turn out a top three regular season offense. And I think that I mean, the Chiefs are probably the least talented roster overall, but they just won the Super Bowl and they have Patrick Mahomes and Andy Reid and Travis Kelsey. And I just have more faith in them because of that. But I don't think they're as talented as the Bills, the Bengals overall this year. So how concerned were you about what you saw from them? And how much was it about the Browns just dominating them and playing a really good game? That's definitely part of it. Uh, I don't think this Bengals offensive line is good. Uh, at all that is probably my biggest chief concern especially with burrow dealing with uh, a knee injury and then also mobility issues too right it's not like burrow's the most mobile guy but uh, he did look limited and he looked a you know a step slower in terms of acceleration like burrow's not a a josh allen type of runner but he's definitely a guy that can extend plays and that can rush for first downs or get out of the Mm -hmm. pocket and scramble when he needs to right he couldn't do that today. He was a little bit of, uh, he had cinder blocks on his feet a little bit. And I think that's stemming from the injury. So I think the injury is a component of it. But I also think that, yeah, this might happen against good pass rushes all season long. I don't think this offensive line is good. They return all three of their interior guys, Karras, Kappa, uh, and Volson. 
weren't great last year. They moved Jonah Williams over to the right side. Jonah Williams kind of stinks. Orlando Brown is holding down the left side. Orlando Brown kind of stinks. So, I mean, Joe could be under duress all season long, and if it takes him, you know, half a season to get back to full strength from this injury, he could be in for for, for a... Uh, <laughs> He could be in for it. Now, the Browns, I do think, improved a lot. And I was really impressed with Cleveland in this game, specifically the pass rush. This unit was 27th in pressure rate last season. Oh, my gosh, man. Like, uh, my roommate asked me, where do you think, how do you think Jadavion Clowney compares to Zadarius Smith? I told him it's not even close. They're not even in the same, they're not on the same planet. Zadarius Smith is, it just clears in every way. Zadarius and Miles Garrett are going to be a force to be reckoned with all season long. One of the best pass-rushing duos in the NFL. And on the interior, too, Dalvin Tomlinson and Jordan Elliott is one hell of an interior duo. Again, the Browns' struggles last season had a lot to do with their front seven, right? They couldn't stop teams from running the ball down their throat, and they couldn't get pressure on the quarterback despite having one of the best pass rushers on the planet. If those holes are fixed, the only real group that I would be concerned about with Cleveland is the interior with their linebackers. But I like those guys too. J.O.K., uh, Sion Takitaki. Like, I think they're solid there. Walker. I think the Browns might be the team I was sleeping on the most coming into this season, Carson. I chalked it up mostly to the Browns is the Browns. And I still think there are things to be concerned about, primarily <laughs> just Deshaun Watson. Uh, but... Mm-hmm. They've got a great all. They got a great all line. I like their weapons. They've had a full off season with Watson. Nick Chubb is still an absolute monster. It's just how consistent is Deshaun going to be? Because he was he was all right in this game. But did you see that one play uh, where Deshaun rolls out to the left side and I don't know who he was looking for, but he literally just drops it in the uh, right into the body of a Bengals defender. I mean, just gives him. Here you go. Here's a pick. Mm-hmm. Outside of Deshaun, I don't really have many question marks about any other position group on the Browns. And I don't know if this is an overreaction, but definitely after week one, I'm feeling Baltimore, Cleveland, Cincy, Pittsburgh is a clean power ranking, uh, is a clear power ranking in the AFC North. Well, I do think that the Browns are a really talented all-around football team, and Zadarius Smith is obviously a huge addition on the front, but I also thought Okoronkwo I liked as a pickup and had a good game in this one too. So this is the foundation of the Browns team that we knew could be realized this year. A really intimidating pass rush leads to an overall good defense, an elite run game with one of the best lines and one of the best running backs in football which they leaned into in this one, over 200 yards on the ground. And then the question of, are they going to be a 10-win team, which is what I had them doing, or are they going to be a 12-win team, maybe even a Super Bowl contender, is going to come down to Deshaun Watson. Is he able to reach the elite quarterback level, or is he going to be really mediocre, which is what he was last year, and what he was in this one? He is the one, I would say, discouraging takeaway from this game. I thought he was still super inaccurate at one point. I mean, he threw like a cricket pitch to one of his receivers. It got to him off a bounce, like just way off target, which we saw as an issue down the stretch last year. And he's relying on his athleticism and his rushing ability more as opposed to, of course, he's always been great at extending plays and the improvisational side of the game. But at his peak, 2020, super accurate, 
great pocket passer, able to carry an offense to heights that they shouldn't have been at with his raw passing ability. And he's just not there right now. And honestly, after a full offseason, I thought that he would look better in week one. And the Browns really struggled to put points on the board in this one early. Like this game was 3-0 for a long time. They were getting a lot of stops, but they kept giving the ball right back. So I do think they're really good. I don't know if I would be ready to put them above the Bengals. This was just a really bad all-around game for Cincy. And I want to be clear, Joe Burrow isn't moving in my quarterback rankings because of this. I already had him at three. I do think that... Certain dudes are just able to overcome circumstances more than others. And Joe Burrow has generally been in really good situations. He is great, undeniably. He's super accurate. He's a great decision maker. He does have really good pocket footwork and a bit of that ability to extend plays. And this was a really, really bad game from him. Anybody else who you want to throw out here in the most disappointing category? Nobody else really disappointed me, but I definitely had a lot of teams uh, that convinced me to, to have a little more faith in them moving forward. Okay, so who stands out there on the good side? Well, number one, I have an agenda to push, and that's with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, so booyah, baby. One of my locks this week was the <laughs> Bucks over the Minnesota Vikings. I feel like I'm the only person on planet Earth who picked this team to win the AFC South, and boy, am I fired up that they started out 1-0. Uh, first of all, really impressed with the defense. Uh, Shaq Barrett's back. The pressure was so much better. Devin White was anchoring the middle of the field. Uh, Joe Tri uh, Tryon was everywhere on the field. Great at getting pressure. Great at stuffing runs. Uh, I was just super impressed with this defense overall. And that is how the Buccaneers, if they are going to be great this season, if they're going to be good this season, it's going to be on the back of this defense. That's a fundamental basis of this team. I love Baker Mayfield. I'm probably the biggest Baker Mayfield supporter uh, on the planet as well. It's not going to be on the back of Baker. It's going to be on the back of the defense. With that, though, I was really impressed with the offensive line. That was a red flag of mine with Ryan Jensen, right? Um, I feel really bad for Ryan. If you have not heard the news, it seems like he's going to uh, officially retire from the NFL. It seems like he's not going to play another snap. So that's really disappointing. I wish the best to him moving forward. But the offensive line looked really great uh, in spite of him. Not run blocking. They weren't able to get a whole lot of push up front. Rashad White struggled to generate yards on the ground. But they bought a lot of time for Baker. And uh, Baker uh, was able to, to do a little bit with that time that he was bought. He's probably the one disappointing aspect of the Buccaneers still. Missed some throws. He made his receivers work today, man. A lot of readjustments. And the one thing that really concerns me about Baker, Carson, is because he did. He executed in big spots. He had a couple big plays. The TD to Mike Evans, granted, I don't know who it was. There was a guy wide open on a seam route uh, that he just overthrew massively, that it could have been an easy touchdown. But he has a TD to Mike Evans. Uh, he has a crucial third down run where he gets him over the line. The one thing I'm really concerned with Baker about is, I don't know if you've noticed this tendency, Carson. Uh, I said uh, Burrow had cinder blocks on his feet. Baker literally looks like he is taped to the ground on some plays. Like, he's incapable of moving his feet. The pocket will move, and the next logical progression is for Baker to either step up or either roll out, and he's like an action figure. He's just stuck. You know, like he just, he can't move. He's like on one of those action figure stands where his feet are just planted in the dirt. That's the one thing that I worry about with him. And I will say, 
I am pushing my agenda. The Vikings kind of suck. I think the Vikings are, are going to be stinky oh, yeah. this year. They don't they don't have a great pass rush. Uh, this they don't have a great secondary. Like I think that also plays into the Bucks winning. But not a lot of people had Tampa Bay winning this game. I did. I expected it, and I think this defense could be really good this year. Uh, the secondary needs work. Addison and Jefferson definitely got in some work in this game. I think the Bucks have to improve there, but. I think there's a lot to like with the weapons, with the pass blocking we saw up front, and with the overall defense. Uh, I'm a little more excited about Tampa Bay moving forward. Yeah, they won the mediocrity off, the mid-off. I think the Vikings are thoroughly mediocre. And I said last year they were an average team masquerading as an elite one. And particularly that's because of how bad they were defensively. 23rd in pressure rate, 30th in passing yards per attempt allowed, a bad rush defense as well. And now they lost their best pass rusher in Zadarius Smith. So I thought that they were not able to really put pressure on this Bucks O-line, which to me, it's not like a great affirmation of that unit is going to be okay because they performed okay against the Minnesota Vikings. But I did think that the Bucks' defense looked really good, and holding the Vikings to 17 points is an accomplishment. Obviously, Jettis went crazy, but I did think that they were able to get after the passer. I do think that maybe I undersold that unit a bit, but offensively, I do think that they're limited. I don't think this team is going to run the ball well. Obviously, they were very poor there last year, and they were very inefficient in this one, and I don't think that Baker's going to be able to carry them to an even average passing attack. It was funny. There was one moment on the broadcast where they basically just made your, like, he's got that dog in him point when he, like, lowered his <laughs> shoulder and converted that third down with his legs. They were like, that's why you love Baker Mayfield. He just doesn't care. He just doesn't give a flying fuck, this guy. And I was like, yeah, I guess. He's not very good, though. Like... <laughs> Congratulations, he converted a third and two, put his body on the line. It would be nice if he could hit open receivers more put, consistently. Put him in the hall of put him in yeah. the hall of fame, man. Put him in the hall of game, maybe. I don't know. He's not for me, and the Bucks aren't for me. But I do think that defense looked good, and maybe I underestimated if that could drive them to be a six-win team instead of a four-win team where I had them. I'm going to shout out the Green Bay Packers as a team that impressed me. And Logan, I think you deserve props for this one because that's a team that you were high on. You had them winning, I believe it was 11 games and the NFC North. And I think I had them winning eight games, same record as the Vikings. And as my thoughts progressed, I was like, I do think this is a better all-around football team than the Vikings. I just couldn't really see the elite unit that would launch them into being a 10-plus win team for me. But I thought Jordan Love was pretty good and I do believe that he's a solid starter and will be that this season again I don't think he has the above and beyond stuff to put him in a tier above that but he was mostly accurate in this game he did miss a couple throws but was composed I thought made good decisions with the ball had a really well placed ball for the touchdown to Romeo Dobbs that jump ball and he produced at a pretty good level without Christian Watson one of his touchdowns is an Aaron Jones catch and run for like 40 plus yards where he's doing most of the work. But I thought this was a solid game from Jordan Love. And I think that this is another defense that I may have slightly undersold. I thought that they did a good job of mostly containing Justin Fields on the ground. I thought they got after him 
with pressure. Obviously, they had the pick six. So I do see the playoff formula here because I don't view the Lions as some sort of infallible Titan at the top of the NFC North. I only had them winning 10 games because I'm not super high on the ceiling of that defense. And I don't think the offense can really be better than last year, even though I might like their weapons a little bit more because I feel like Goff really tapped out his ceiling last year. And versus like Minnesota, who's just going to be horrible defensively, in my opinion, and doesn't have a complete elite offense like their run game isn't going to be good to me. They are so reliant on Justin Jefferson. It's ridiculous that an offense can be so reliant on a wide receiver specifically. I do think that this Packers team has a playoff ceiling. Now, I will say I was also concerned about the Bears, and this isn't a team that I was super high on. I know that some people had them going the worst to first thing. And I think that that's a byproduct of some people being much higher on Justin Fields, thinking he would be a top 10 quarterback, maybe even a dark horse MVP candidate. To me, he is still too far away as a pure thrower of the football. And although these weapons are better with DJ Moore, now he didn't really have an impact in this game. They're still not good. This team was horrible defensively last year. Yes, they made some real additions, but they're climbing from a really low place. I still do think that they are looking like the worst team in the NFC North. So it's a good blowout win for the Packers with a defensive touchdown, though, against a team that's not so good. I don't want to overreact, but I did think it was a good game for them and Jordan Love. Yeah, I had four teams listed on my short list. We already talked about Miami, Cleveland, and I shouted out Tampa Bay. Green Bay was the next team on my list, and... I really did like what I saw out of Jordan Love. Now, I do think you bring up a good point there. Some of Love's efficiency numbers are bolstered by some big Aaron Jones plays. Like, he had a couple in this game where he Mm -hmm. just shot up the seam uh, and ate up a ton of yards. But I liked Love and his progressions, especially on that touchdown that you talk about Dobbs. Like, that's something that you could see they've practiced, right? Love took one snap, like, took one second put his head right to Dobbs, and drop that right in the bucket. It was a pretty pass. If Love can play mistake-free, limit turnovers, run the ball with Aaron Jones, if that can be their bread and butter, their offense, I think the Packers' offense can be pretty good. And like you said, this was without Christian Watson. I liked what I saw out of the defense too, but like you said, I really didn't know what to make of it because I don't think the Bears are that good. I mean, the weapons are cool now. DJ Moore, Mooney, Claypool, Komet. Claypool drops a wide-open screen pass. I thought that was pretty funny, considering he's a top-three wide receiver in the NFL. Uh, Yeah, I I don't think the Bears are going to be that good this year. And I do think it comes down to Justin Fields primarily, man. I like Justin a lot. I think he's a special rusher. I think he's got special game-breaking speed. But, man, dude, I really don't know if he's a passer. He, he, He just seems jittery back there. He seems uncomfortable. I don't know if that's a byproduct of the line. But that's kind of been the knock on him in his entire time in the NFL, and I, and I hope he can get better at it. But he just does not seem comfortable as a passer. Again, I don't know if that's solely because of the situation or if that's the player that Fields is, but I'm going to take that more of an indication that Fields is not ready to be an elite or even average thrower of the football at this point in his career. So I hope he progresses, but I, I, this did not instill a lot of faith in me in Chicago. But I'm all aboard the Green Bay train, man. Good defense, good running game, game game-managing quarterback, uh, great culture, great Mm -hmm. coaching staff. I I really do buy into the Packers as NFC North champions. Again, maybe not legit, legit contenders, but I think Green Bay is going to be really competitive again this season. 
I like them, and I certainly agree that they will be competitive. I think that they are a high-floor, relatively low-ceiling team to me because I don't see the elite defense, and I don't see the like solidly above-average quarterback play from Jordan Love, but I do think that they're going to be competitive, no doubt about that, and eight wins is probably closer to their floor. I want to shout out just one more guy, and maybe the most surprising win of the weekend out of all of these to me was what the Rams did to Seattle. And I thought Matt Stafford played really well. Yeah, dude. I understand that he doesn't put a touchdown up on the board in this one, but I thought he made a lot of really good throws with velocity into tight windows with just little bits of separation. But also I was impressed by the play of this receiving core without Cooper Cup. I thought it was going to be a disaster, but Atwell, Nakua, Higby, those dudes were able to find enough space, and then Stafford took some shots, and he mostly delivered. I do love his audacity as a passer. I understand that even in his great 2021 season, he throws 17 picks, but the guy also gives you 41 touchdowns on elite passing production, and I think part of that is because of his willingness to take and make big-time throws that... Some of the other dudes who we've talked about who may be more efficient passers, who may make fewer mistakes, just can't and don't do. I don't think that the Rams are going to be good or anything. I was just happy to see Stafford, after such a confusing and injury-riddled season, look really good in their debut. But they struggled running the ball. I will say, I was pleased with how their defense held up because I thought... This was a unit that struggled last year and now lost Bobby Wagner and Jalen Ramsey and Leonard Floyd, but they played okay in this one. I am worried about the Seahawks though, because this is a team that I thought got concretely better, especially with their additions on the defense, but improving their weapons with JSN coming in and their offense just died in this game. I mean, the second half, they just got nothing. Geno did not play well. And at the same time, defensively, they were not generating pressure, which I think is a reason that this elite on paper secondary struggled to cover a bunch of no-name receivers. And I am concerned about that Seahawks pass rush. I think their back line is great, and I love them bringing in Bobby Wagner, but the front is not too imposing. So I definitely want to see them have a bounce-back game, especially as a believer in Geno, because this was not pretty from him this is it we've got an amex platinum pro on our hands ladies and gentlemen we haven't seen anyone relax like this before in the centurion lounge (sighs) is he connecting to complimentary wi-fi oh my look at that he is and you will not believe where he's going next the amex dedicated card member entrance for the win unbelievable when you get travel perks with amex platinum you're part of the action that's the powerful backing of american express Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bob Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Puma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds from Mars, oh, and two-door cinema club. This is Jeff T. from the Club 520 Podcast. You'll know when you get it. It'll say eBay, authenticity, guarantee. You'll feel it because when it comes to your feet, eBay has your back. Maybe it's a head-turning pair for hooping or a hot new collab. Whatever you're after. 
When you cop on eBay, you can trust that your kicks will be checked by experts, not just any expert. Sneaker experts who live and breathe the culture. Real people with real hands-on authentication experience. That's when Blue Checkmark represents on our listing. eBay authenticity guarantee, meaning every inch, stitch, sole, logo is verified authentic through a detailed inspection. So when you finally step into those grill kicks, you'll realize the feeling is unlike any other. And with eBay authenticity guarantee, the feeling of real is always within reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms. Okay, let's talk about another result that maybe the winner wasn't surprising, but the margin was, and that was the primetime Sunday night game. The Dallas Cowboys went out and committed an actual massacre against the New York football Giants, 40 to nothing. What did you take away from that? I didn't know how to take away anything from this game because it started out so strange. The Giants just marched down the field. Saquon's hidden holes. Chris Collinsworth is getting ready to crown the Giants' rushing attack. (laughs) The Cowboys drafted Mozzie Smith. Look at the Giants just running straight at the Cowboys' D-line. And I'm like, hold your horses, Chris. They've broken off like three runs. Daniel Jones gets out of the pocket, scrambles, and then it's I don't know, man. This to me is like a real, it's a real signal of momentum in sports, man. Immediately, it looks like the Giants are going to storm out of the gate and get a touchdown on the first drive. They fumble that snap. Kick gets blocked. Cowboys take it to the house. Later, you get a DJ pick. You get a DJ pick six off the hands of Saquon Barkley. Trayvon Diggs makes a textbook tackle, pops that ball loose, heads to the house. Like, I don't really know how how I can take away anything from this game because it just seemed like you blinked and the Giants were in a massive hole that they just couldn't climb out of. Look, man, Mm -hmm. I'm the biggest Daniel Jones uh, truther out there, uh, and I have an agenda to push uh, on that front too. Uh, The DJ's below average QB. Well, you're the opposite of a truther. You are a Daniel Jones sucks truther. Yeah, Daniel Jones does suck. I I thought DJ looked okay at portions in this game, but – not encouraging. One of those interceptions, not his fault. The one to Saquon. The other one I do think was his fault. Yeah, man. I I think the Cowboys are really good. I don't think 40 is... I don't think the Giants are a horrible team. I do think the Cowboys are really good, and I told my roommates, too, when we were watching this game, if this was any team other than the Dallas Cowboys, with this talent, with these players, man, I'd be all into the Super Bowl. But they got that star on the side of their helmet, and I just can't do it yet. The Cowboys looked really, really good. Their pass rush, especially Micah Parsons, Demarcus Lawrence. Oh, my gosh, dude. Micah is a freak. Micah could win Defensive Player of the Year, too. Like, if the Cowboys' defense is top five, because I don't anticipate the Steelers having a great defense. Like, TJ can ball out all he wants. If the Steelers aren't a great overall defense, I don't see voters rewarding him with a depoy. But the Cowboys definitely can have a top-notch defense. I know Gilmore got burnt once or twice Gilmore makes plays in this game. Diggs looked good. The other pieces did. Michael was getting home. The coverages looked great. DeMarcus was getting home. Like, I really do. I think the sky's the limit. I know a lot of people had this coming into the season. I have the Cowboys winning the NFC. I'm all in on the regular season Cowboys, man. You can hold me to that. I don't have any expectations for the playoffs, but... For a regular season team, and I think they're going to roll. They ran the ball really well with Tony Pollard against a really good Giants front. I think this front four is really solid. 
I don't have any takeaways about the Giants, but I know the Cowboys are going to be really freaking good this year if they can just stay healthy. New York, I'm going to hold reservations about. I don't, even though they didn't put a point on the board, I'm not really ready to concretely take away anything from them uh, about this game. It was a super weird one. And just to be clear, when you say you have the Cowboys winning the NFC, you mean winning the one seed in the regular season. You don't even have them in your NFC championship game. But yeah, man, this is as ugly and as weird as it gets. What I will say we can concretely take away from this is that this Cowboys pass rush is, along with Phillies, to me, I mean, maybe ahead of the rest of the league concretely. I mean, they led the league in pressure rate last year. I thought that they were just absolutely monstrous coming up with seven sacks in this game. Dorrance Armstrong, I think, is another guy who deserves a shout-out. Was super productive last year and came up with a couple of sacks in this one. It's a loaded front. I do think that Gilmore is a net positive addition in the secondary. I like that pickup. And we've seen the Cowboys defense excel at one thing particularly for the last couple years. Well, two things pressuring the hell out of quarterbacks and forcing a lot of turnovers. And they followed that exact formula in this game, but they've also been very good situationally defensively. Last year, they were top 10 in a third down percentage and red zone percentage. So it's a really good defense. And then it's one of the most balanced offenses in the NFL. I mean, they have an efficient run game. Tony Pollard is clearly a top 10 back. They have a really good all around receiving core. And to me, they have a Top 10 quarterback. Dak didn't play well in this one. This wasn't about the offense. This was about the defense's ability to entirely shut down the Giants and actively generate touchdowns off of defense and special team situations. I don't know that I can really say that I'm out on the Giants because of this game because it did just feel like they were doomed from that first blocked field goal. I will say, though, this is a team that I think a lot of people tagged as being an obvious regression candidate because they slowed down as last year went along. They didn't play well against really good teams. They had a negative point differential. They were limited offensively. I thought they got better in this offseason. I liked their additions. Darren Waller ends up being the most productive receiver in this game. That's really not saying much, though. I thought that Danny Dimes was very reliant on his legs, and I thought that he just really got eaten alive this defense I didn't think looked great but again it wasn't so much about the Cowboys offense as it was about their defense so I still think the Giants are well coached I do think they're a better team on paper but Daniel Jones certainly has to play better and Logan I appreciate you're not taking an absolute victory lap and dancing on his grave because you've said some bold things about Danny Dimes. You said bottom five starter at a time. You then amended that to bottom 10. I've said that I think he's more in that average range, but as opposed to Tua, who's 12, 13, Danny Dimes for me is probably on the lower end of the average 17, 18, but he was not even that good in this one. It was just a disaster all around. Okay, last thing that we want to hit on today is Anthony Richardson and Trevor Lawrence had a really fun duel of young AFC South quarterbacks. Lawrence came out on top in the Jags, which I think we all would have expected. But what were your thoughts on Richardson's debut in this game overall? Yeah, I, I really like what I saw from Anthony Richardson. Now, I think the Colts did a phenomenal job of leaning into his skill set and not trying to overcomplicate things in his debut. You, you get a lot of screens. Uh, you know, you get the one with Michael Pittman where he takes it on the house call, and I think it was second and 28. Um, 
they really leaned into his skill set, play action fakes, read options where he can get outside and use his legs. And I think the Colts can have a good offense if they continue to do that. Short passes, quick reads, screen plays, and deception with a good running game, right? Richardson is a guy where you have to respect him on the ground. I don't think that, you know, you can look at Richardson's measurables. You know, they called him the most athletic quarterback ever. I don't think he's in the Cam Newton, Josh Allen tier of runners yet. To me, Richardson's just a little a little bigger. Like, he's a little heavier. Like, uh, I don't think he's as fluid of an athlete as an Allen or a Newton, if that makes sense, right? He doesn't really get into that top gear as quickly, which I think limits him in terms of being a you know, one-man rushing offense, but I still think this is a guy that you can lean into heavy and depend on for short yardage situations, for, you know, third and twos, for first downs. Whenever you want to open it up, like, it should be there, but I am really encouraged. So I don't think he's a Newton-Allen guy in the open field. I think he's a Newton-Allen guy in the red zone, though, and that's where I'm really intrigued, is I think that he could be a double-digit TD candidate year in, year out. And this is a guy, too, knock on wood, I don't want to put some bad juju on the kid. He's a tank, man. I mean, if there's anybody who is built to withstand the workload of taking a lot of carries, of getting hit in the red zone, if there's anybody that is capable of taking on that kind of workload immediately as a rushing quarterback, it definitely is Richardson because he is built for it. So, I wasn't expecting much out of Richardson, and I don't think we saw much of him as a passer. Uh, But I thought he made quick decisions. I thought he didn't try to do too much. I thought they really tailored the offense toward his skill set, and I think there's a lot of really, really nice things that we can build upon. And I liked his... I liked his camaraderie with his teammates. It really looks like Colts players look at him as a leader immediately. That's another thing that I like about Richardson is just the the connection that he has with his teammates. So I wasn't expecting a whole lot, but honestly, dude, Richardson might be my favorite rookie quarterback. And I think he's in a better situation too. I think Stroud's in an abysmal situation, especially when he's going up against a pass rush like Baltimore. God bless that kid. He was under pressure all day long. Uh, Bryce Young looked good. I liked him too, but I honestly was most most impressed with Anthony Richardson. And I think the Colts can have an above-average offense with him, dude. And this game shouldn't have been in close, uh, as close as it was. T-Law has an interception and a fumble that weren't his fault that the Colts get points off of. So uh, this margin wasn't as close, but I like what I saw out of the Colts offense and defense. I I definitely am a little higher on them than I was uh, heading into week one. So I just want to start with the specific rushing point because I actually disagree with you. I think that We didn't see it in this game, but Richardson is to me the fastest and the most elusive of all of these dudes in the open field. I mean, he ran a 4-4-3-40, and I do think that he has a little bit more agility than even like a Josh, the ability to make dudes miss in space. But that wasn't the foundation of this game. I will say his athleticism is great. I mean, the easy touchdown off the quarterback draw, he just bounces off the little bit of contact that he does take, and then the huge fourth down conversion with his legs, which theoretically was keeping the Colts alive in that game. I just thought that was an incredible ability to endure contact, to keep pushing. That is the sort of stuff that you only do see from like the Josh Allen, the Cam Newton types. And he already has that ability to impact the game as a rusher. But I did think as a passer today, 
he was the most effective of the rookies. I liked his pocket presence. And I think he can certainly throw with velocity. And everybody knows that. The dude is capable of throwing bullets. He's got a strong arm. And maybe it would be nice to see a little bit more variety. But I thought in terms of the intermediate throws over the middle of the field, quick routes where there's just very brief windows to capitalize on the separation as receivers have, timing routes, I thought that he was good. Now, I do think he still has some accuracy issues, which I've consistently said is just inevitably going to be a progress, a process. It's not going to work itself out in year one, certainly not in week one. That doesn't happen with the hyper-athletic dudes. It takes time for all of them if they have accuracy questions. And there are some, like he's rolling out, he's got somebody right there in the flat. I forget who it was. And the guy ends up having to make a big adjustment and basically a diving catch on a third and short. Like he's just off target on some of those easy passes more than he should be. And I did think that the pick was brutal. It was a super costly situation. It was a bad decision and it was a poorly placed ball. I mean, obviously he didn't end up even getting close to the receiver. So I thought it was a mixed bag, but I definitely thought it was mostly good. I do like Anthony Richardson. I think he obviously has the highest ceiling out of the three from this year. I think that Stroud is the most accurate. I think that Bryce has the best pocket presence and footwork and overall decision-making. But I think that what Richardson has in terms of that athletic ceiling as a runner with a really impressive rocket of an arm and with the flashes of good decision-making and accurate enough throwing that we've seen from him throughout preseasons and week one, he is my favorite long-term. And we both said that we thought that he would have the best week one out of this bunch, but a lot of that was because I thought they were all going into tough circumstances. I was definitely impressed by how he played. I will say on the flip side of this, T-Law and the Jags look good, man. You say this game shouldn't have been as close as it was, and I think I agree. The pick was just stupid right off the receiver's chest. But I think Trevor is even better than last year. His ability to extend plays, I thought he was making incredible throws on the run in this game. Big time, bold, but accurate throws, limiting mistakes, just incredible timing, placement. I'm super high on him, and I think... Calvin Ridley had an immediate, obvious impact. And that's the sort of dude who can help you take the leap. Like Trevor was already clearly a top 10 quarterback last year, but how do you surpass maybe a Justin Herbert of the world too? He has similar physical tools too, and both elite young guys. Certainly helps when you get an injection of receiving talent like that. I love Ridley. I think that he clearly produced at an elite level. Not the last time we saw him on the field because he had a, a down season in the five games that he did play. But, I mean, the guy is capable of elite, elite production. And I think that we're going to see it this year. And I think that he is going to help take Trevor Lawrence up a level. Like 2020, Calvin Ridley was a borderline top five receiver in football. So I definitely think that the Jags are head and shoulders above the rest of that division. And I do just want to say while we're talking about the AFC South, Ryan Tannehill is so, so bad. Cost his team two touchdowns by just missing wide open throws and threw three picks, and frankly threw multiple more balls, just like routine stuff to the flat, totally forecasted, easily could have been picked. That guy is terrible, and I remain low on the Titans, and congrats to the Saints for eking out a win at home against them, but I'm not super high on the Derek Carr Saints either. So, there you have it. Any final thoughts, Logan? The Cardinals almost got a win. Woohoo! 
There's a reason that the Titans have drafted two QBs in the past two drafts. Man. Yeah, there's there's a a pretty a pretty uh a pretty good reason. Yeah. Uh, final thing, I do think T. Law could climb into into that top five unit, especially with Calvin Ridley. Now, dude, T. Law was throwing ropes out there, man. He was throwing dots. Uh, yeah. If if you don't know, now you know. T. Law is the real deal, and I hope any T. Law skeptics took that uh, and ran with it because. Uh, Trevor's going to ball out this year. Yeah, I had him as my number six quarterback coming into this year. I think that everybody above him on that list is more proven. But I certainly think he has the talent to be a top three quarterback this year. I think that he brings more creation. Uh, I think that he certainly does more damage with his legs than even Joe Burrow. And Burrow has been the more accurate, the more perfect pocket passer. No question about that. But I do think that T-Law continues to take strides there. The situation around him getting better. He can close the gap there. And then the extra stuff that he does might be able to make him the better overall quarterback. I think that he is certainly marching towards the elite of the elite. The leap that we saw from him last year was remarkable. And I think he's just continuing on the right trajectory. So there you have it, guys. Our week one recap. Except, of course... What remains is Monday Night Football. So we are going to be reacting to that game. Not something we're necessarily going to do every week, but because it's Bills-Jets, that's a big Monday Night Football game. So we'll be back with just a quick reaction show. But if you enjoyed this one, you want more Nerd Sesh content, you can follow us across social, TikTok and Instagram at Nerd Sesh. You can catch clips from our shows. You can catch a bunch of our trivia content, original content that we do, lists, breakdowns of old, great athletes. You can also... Follow us on Twitter at nerd underscore sesh. Get a lot of that same content. You can get our merch. Logan's got the nerd sesh hat. We've both got the flags behind us. We've got shirts. We've got hoodies. You can get all of that at thevolume.com. You can join our Discord. That is at the link tree across our social media bios, as is the link to any of our merch stuff if you want to go there. And you can buy something from us on Cameo if you want a little custom message, custom video from the nerds. Go ahead and check us out there. So... With that, as always, appreciate you guys. It is great to have football back. I have been Carson Brabber. I have been Logan Camden. And this was Nerd Sesh. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bob Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Puma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds to Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cb for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. 
I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball, from growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.